Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. And we begin with breaking news tonight. The United States attacks against Iranian-backed groups in Iraq and Syria started at about midnight in the Middle East. It includes hitting a dozen or so targets Over the course of about 30 minutes, three facilities in Iraq, four in Syria. Video from Syria purportedly showing the strike shows large weapon depots exploding. And what you're seeing getting fired off is what they call secondary explosions. So once the bombs land, then the ordnance stored in the facility starts cooking off. If these images are both, number one, verified, but number two, Authentic. It tells us, uh, very importantly, that the Iranian-backed militias weren't able to move everything out uh, in the past five days before these strikes happened. We're going to get to a lot more of the strikes. We're going to map the strikes out for you to show you why the locations of them were so important. We're also going to talk about the one place that we did not bomb. Uh, over the past six or so hours. We welcome you to the Ferris Show on television. It's 7 p.m. here in Washington. That makes it 3 a.m. in Iraq and Syria. And you can see a number of the sites that were hit. Those three Americans died at a base right here uh, in the far northeast part of Jordan. Central Command reports hitting 85 targets, including Iranian militia command and control centers. The White House and Pentagon say that this is the start of our response to the killing of three American soldiers last weekend. Today, President Biden went to Dover Air Force Base for the dignified transfer of the three killed. An Iranian drone killed Sergeant William Jerome Rivers of Carleton, Georgia, Specialist Kennedy Sanders of Waycross, Georgia, and Specialist Brianna Moffat of Savannah, Georgia. It hit their barracks at that logistics base in the far northeast part of Jordan. President Biden tonight. Our response began today. It will continue at times in place of our choosing The United States does not seek conflict in the Middle East or anywhere else. But let all those who might seek to do us harm know this. If you harm an American, we will respond. General Philip Breedlove has planned many of those responses. Former Supreme Allied Commander in Europe, a man we turn to at times like this. General, your analysis. Well, Leland, thanks for having me on board. Um, I think uh, I wish this had happened three or four days ago. I think we should have hit hard and fast. Um, I'm glad that we have finally started an action. I think there's lots of dust to settle over what we actually struck. I've now heard uh, three different characterizations of how many targets we hit. I heard today seven targets, four in Syria, three in Iraq. You said about a dozen. 
I think the administration is reporting 85. I, I think that that's just a misnomer the way it's being captured. It's, it's 85 designated mean points of impact on seven to 10 target areas. So I'm sure the language will clean up over the days and what we struck will clean up over the days. I think the most important thing to talk about though, and I'm sure you'll take me there, is this what will change Iran's mind? All roads start in Iran and all roads lead back to Iran. And we'll have to ask ourselves, have we done enough? I'll get you to that point in a minute. Um, you're, you're right to point out the differences in the language. Uh, we have them highlighted here. It was uh, seven target areas, and, and I think you pointed out 85 separate targets. I guess every building central command uh, counts as that. 125, they said, separate precision-guided munitions. That was the language from central command that uh, means more to you. Just in terms of laying out what I think is, is important at this point to, to step back, um, we still have the most powerful military in the world and the ability to send B-1 bombers uh, from the United States nonstop over Syria uh, and Iraq, hit all the targets and turn around and come back home uh, is a pretty impressive one. What do you make of the fact that these were B-1 bombers uh, rather than, say, using uh, any facilities, uh, you know, weapons from uh, the U.S. Navy, uh, carrier strike groups or using fighter jets? Uh, that we have on the ground, say, in Qatar? So I love my fighter jets. As you know, I flew the F-16 for over two-thirds of my career. But uh, a fighter jet can deliver extremely precise weapons, but it will deliver two, four, or eight at the most, depending on the platform. Uh, The B-1, I'm not going to put the whole number out there because it may still, still be classified, but the B-1 carries much much more uh, capability. And and the really exciting thing about having a B-1 on station is not only does it carry all manner of bombs from the small ones to the big ones, but they can all be independently targeted. They don't, like in World War II, pass over a tar- target and drop off all their bombs. These are independently precision-guided weapons that hit these DMPIs designated mean points of impact accurate. One thing that I've always admired about you and I've enjoyed having you on the program because of this is I have never been able to tell where your politics are. Um, you're a military man. You've always been uh, willing to call balls and strikes. You're, you were appointed uh, as Supreme Allied Commander by President Obama. If that means anything to the viewers, they can decide. This would be the question, right? Because as we pointed out, all of the targets are in Syria and Iraq and there is reporting that the The administration has telegraphed both publicly and privately to the Iranians that they're not going to hit inside Iran. Is it possible to deter Iran from these continued attacks without hitting Iran itself? So I think we have recent history which we can refer to, and that would be Ukraine and Russia. We told Russia at the beginning of that conflict that we were not going to let Ukraine bomb inside Uh, Russia with our kit, and we have essentially built sanctuary for Russia all around Ukraine. And so I ask you, have we deterred Mr. Putin in Ukraine? I think the clear answer is no. We're going to have to hit what Iran values most. Now, whether that's in Iran or around Iran, 
I think there are some targets out there that would be proportional, and that's a term we use when we pick targets in, in things like this. We want to have a proportional response. There are those targets out there. You think about when this happened, which was overnight Friday into Saturday morning. Friday night is the weekend uh, and the holy days uh, in the Middle East, as you well know. Um, We think about the people who are are really running these organizations for the uh, Iranians, uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon, uh, Hassan Nasrallah, uh, but our organization, uh, Hadi Al-Mari, and then uh, Al-Shabaab Al-Hakik. The reporting is that so many of the leadership decamped after the three Americans were killed because they realized once we kill Americans, there's going to be a response. Uh, how, how is it that we figure out, and I think you make a point, that there are valuable targets to Iran. These guys are very valuable to Iran. How do we figure out whether or not we basically blew up a bunch of empty warehouses with some old artillery shells in them, or we blew up things that actually matter? Well, the good news is we have some extremely talented target analysts that that's their job. We call it battle damage assessment. We know what we aimed at. We know the way the bomb approaches the target. We know what it should look like afterwards. We look for secondary explosions, all manner of things that indicate we had success. It's much harder, much harder to determine if any of this leadership or the personnel were involved in these uh, targets. And, and as you said, we gave them a lot of warning. So I don't think it's likely that we probably struck targets that were densely populated. I guess the difference being densely populated with people versus densely populated with equipments and, and machinery. Um, let's give the Biden administration their best argument here, which is that you can make the Iranian regime realize that we're willing and have the capability to respond in a meaningful way. But at the same time, you don't want to embarrass the Iranians by blowing stuff up actually inside Iran uh, and therefore uh, sort of forcing them to retaliate. I think if you were going to talk to the Biden administration, if they'd put anybody out tonight to talk about this, that's what they would have told you. So to that end, what would have shown you what would have happened? Take out hitting Iran tonight. What would have shown you if we could have put up something on the map here that Central Command said they hit and did hit that would tell you the message to the Iranians uh, was a powerful enough punch in the nose that they would have changed their behavior? Well, we, we're going to find out, Leland, in the, in the next several days, that question, I think, because we don't have the details of what they struck. Yes, we heard some reporting that they restuck targets that we've struck at least once, and in one case, maybe twice before. But we have to give CENTCON some credit that they're going to go after targets that have value. So I think we will we will see in the next few days whether these targets had value. But the real the real proof in the pudding will be if Iran stops doing what they're doing. And we do know, as I said, we don't have to bomb inside Iran to to really hurt Iran. There are several assets out there that would be proportional as we use the arguments when we do target analysis. For instance, All of these proxies are getting intelligence from Iran. One of Iran's biggest intelligence gathering assets is this ship they're steaming around in the middle of the Red Sea and other places. 
um, that would be something that maybe we should turn into a fishing reef. Forgive, forgive me, I did not expect a fishing reef uh, analogy or, or moment, sir. Uh, that would be uh, the ships down here transiting the Red Sea. There were reports that the Iranians brought that boat, uh, their intelligence boat, back up into Iranian waters uh, over the past um, couple of weeks. General, we appreciate it, sir, uh, as always. Uh, thoughtful, uh, sanguine analysis from a guy who has been there and been in these, uh, in these discussions. We appreciate it. We'll talk soon, sir. Good to see you. Yes, sir. Kelly Meyer with us now uh, from the White House. Not going to hear from the president tonight. Uh, Kelly, you you think about sort of the messaging on a night like tonight. Uh, The White House called a lid at 3 p.m., which means that we're not going to see the president again. Um, Secretary Austin didn't come out and speak. No kind of press conference. The White House on a Friday afternoon, evening is pretty quiet when the president isn't there. I'm wondering how much of a message the White House is trying to send of kind of no big deal. They didn't want an Oval Office address tonight of sort of raising this to that kind of level. And I think also because this is, as they say, just the start of it. They say this is going to continue. They won't exactly say for how long or when, as they say, they won't telegraph exactly where or when this is going to happen. But we know they have been planning this response for several days. The president knew how he wanted to respond. We just didn't know when he was going to do it. And it coming just hours after he appeared at the dignified transfer for those three U.S. service members that were killed on Sunday, sparking this retaliatory action. But as you said, the president isn't here at the White House today. He is in Delaware. Uh, there was no press conference here tonight. Uh, there was, uh, you know, a, a background briefing. There were no uh, really any kind of uh, officials coming out here to talk to us, anything like that. So a relatively quiet night. But hmm. it will continue. These attacks, they say these strikes, will continue over the next several days. So this is just the start. So hopefully we will hear more from the White House in the days to come. Leland? Yeah, I think it's, it, it, it's noteworthy oftentimes uh, what what they don't say rather than what they do and whether the, the president uses this sort of as a moment to come out and speak to the American people, whether they they want it to rise to that uh, level. Kelly Meyer uh, at the White House tonight. Kelly, thank you very much. We invite you to sign up for War Notes. Gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we took a lot of time this morning to lay out the reasons why and how we knew uh, that the U.S. military was not going to strike Iran and in what they're telegraphing in that, we're actually going to get into that a little bit later uh, in the show. Warnotes.com and subscribe for free. You can also talk to us on social media at Leland Vittert on Twitter and Instagram. Next, more on the breaking news as these American forces have carried out airstrikes against targets in Syria and Iraq, but not Iran. And the administration is telegraphing why not Iran. We're going to get into that reporting next. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. It's 
If you ever want to send a message, there is one way to make sure it gets through, whether the phone rings or not, and that is with a B-1 bomber that carried out the strikes in Iraq and Syria. The aircrafts are based in Ellsworth Air Force Base in South Dakota, Dyes Air Force Base in Texas. That means they would have flown almost 24 hours round trip uh, over the Middle East to hit both Syria and Iraq. 85 separate individual targets, seven different areas. You can imagine the compounds of the Iranian-backed militias uh, that were hit. Former U.N. Ambassador Kurt Volker is with us now. Uh, Good to see you, sir. I think you were NATO ambassador as well, correct? NATO. Yes, that's right. NATO, NATO. yes. Okay. It said U.N. ambassador, but you know, sometimes sometimes titles change. It just happens in the teleprompter. We're glad to have you. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm interested in having you because of, of sort of the diplomatic speak that is going on uh, right now in this. And look, we, we have the map here. Syria, four different uh, affiliate groups uh, that are Iran proxies in Iraq, three. Politico this morning um, had this exclusive. U.S. intelligence officials estimate Tehran does not have full control of its proxy groups. I'm wondering why something that like that leaks right before you hit the proxy groups and you don't hit Iran. Right. Uh, I think you're putting your finger on this. To say that they don't have full control is, on the one hand, of course not. They provide weapons, they provide training, they provide equipment, but these are groups that can do whatever they choose to do. But let's be clear. They are absolutely 100% dependent on Iran. And if Iran says, we don't want you to do this, they're going to think about it. If Iran says, go do this, they're going to feel like they have to. There's not 100% control, but it is clearly Iranian-directed and Iranian-funded and equipped. So that is a, a somewhat misleading thing to say when, in fact, we know what's really going on here. And secondly, I suspect that what the administration is trying to do by not hitting Iran is to send a signal to Iran, don't hit us on our homeland, particularly during an election year. We don't want terrorism here. So I think they are trying to say, you hit our guys overseas, we will hit your proxies overseas, shut this down, don't do it anymore. But as you indicate, deliberately avoiding striking Iran. I think it's fascinating that you've got senior U.S. officials now telling the media, hey, we're not going to hit Iran after five days of, of delay before, before a meaningful response. This was from the New York Times even more. Uh, Iran tries to avoid war with U.S. after stoking Mideast conflicts. After Iranian-aligned militias killed three American soldiers, Iran leaders sensed a line was crossed and are sending more conciliatory signals while awaiting President Biden's promised response. They're, when you're playing it out in front of the New York Times, I think it's pretty interesting but to me, this reads of, of almost setting the stage for if President Biden were to hit Iran, then he is the one who is escalating. And it flipped that around. It allows the administration to say, no, no, President Biden showed resolve and also restraint. It, it, it sort of is a chess game that's being played both publicly and privately by the Iranians. Right. Well, the first thing we have to start is to stipulate here. We shouldn't pay any attention to what they say. Uh, They have authorized their proxies with weapons and money and training that they provided to attack Americans. And so we shouldn't be concerned about what they say. We should be making sure they know that that is unacceptable. Uh, Secondly, that requires an immediate and forceful response. Uh, Something not advertised days in advance, 
something that is not limited in scope in any way. We, as we say, we can do this as our, at our choosing, but instead of talking about it, we should just do it. And I don't think we should convey to the Iranians that, oh, their territory is safe. We want them to think that it might not be, because then they might actually try harder to prevent these attacks from happening. Yeah, or, or try it all. I, I'm almost sort of looking ahead. We did this in War Notes uh, that, that went out really as the bombs started to drop. And said sort of look forward to the Sunday shows, right? Because uh, you're going to have uh, either Blinken or Austin or Jake Sullivan, uh, SecDef, SecState, or, or the National Security Advisor, on the programs, and you can almost imagine them, I feel like, sort of mirroring some of the talking points from Politico of saying, hey, look, you know, we can't bomb Iran because Iran doesn't necessarily have total control. We don't want to we don't want to raise the, the reciprocity multiplier here. We don't want to take that step. Um, you can almost hear them saying uh, we don't want to put the Iranians in a position where they have to respond. Uh, they they're willing if they're if they're willing to back off. So are we on and on and on. You've you've done this before. You've you've given these off the record briefings or background briefings to reporters. Take us take us behind the scenes. What's happening in Washington right now between the administration and and the media to to sort of to to package this? Well, uh, this administration has a particularly close relationship with a lot of the media, and they believe, and it's sincere. They're, they're, I, I wouldn't call this spin. I would call it that they sincerely believe that they have got this right that they have responded appropriately and forcefully while avoiding escalation into a wider Middle East war. We have done this just perfectly. That is what you're going to hear on the Sunday shows, and the media is going to pick that up and play it back and say, oh, yes, this is exactly what they've done. You need to look at these things from the perspective of how do our adversaries read it? What do they understand? And what they understand from this is that We do not want to fight back forcefully. We are trying desperately to avoid escalation. We aren't going to hit Iranian territory itself. This gives, and we're going to give them fair warning days in advance that we might strike back. This tells them that we do not have the resolve and the determination to really fight back and defend ourselves and our allies and friends in the region. So they will continue um, they will say, oh, we don't want a wider war either. And meanwhile, they will have their proxies step it up. Yeah, and well, look, we know, we know the Iranians could care less about their proxies. That's why you have proxies, because they become right. Right. Uh, expendable. Uh, Ambassador, this was a fascinating conversation. I appreciate it. Please come in and join us in studio sometime, sir. Okay. It's a pleasure, and I will. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you. More on the breaking news ahead, including exactly how to really deter Iran. Also, RFK Jr. and Nikki Haley living rent-free in Donald Trump's head these days. His new attacks against them. Well, is it possible that Nikki Haley has Donald Trump just a little bit rattled? This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Back to the breaking news in the Middle East as it warrants. But first... Donald Trump formally entered the political world 
3,153 days ago. And since then, no reporter has had a day off. One thing, though, we have learned since then, the people he chooses to attack tells you everything about who worries him. And right now, he's laser-focused on Nikki Haley and RFK Jr. On True Social, Trump called RFK Jr. the most radical left person running for office. And here is Donald Trump Jr. on Newsmax this week. I think they were trying to create you know, a, a cudgel to Trump, someone else. But the reality is RFK is a radical liberal who happens to be anti-vax. That may be the one policy where, where he leans a little bit right. But he was for open borders for his entire life. It's interesting because there's people who are anti-vax on the left. Seems that there's not really a sequitur there, but okay. Trump's team is campaigning in South Carolina this week without him. South Carolina Congresswoman Nancy Mace had some fierce words about her former political ally, the woman who saved her, Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley is China's favorite governor. And in fact, if she had her way, South Carolina would be manufacturing spy balloons right here in our state. Julie Manchester, politics reporter for The Hill. Phil Wegman, White House correspondent for Real Clear Politics, both with us tonight. Great to see you. I thought it was really interesting what Nancy Mace had to say, if for no other reason than what she had to say, I think it's now five or six months ago, on The Hill. Take a listen. I don't think either side wants to see two 80-year-old guys going at it. I'd love to see a woman on the ticket. That's when I asked if she was going to endorse it. (laughs) Uh, well, for more on Nancy Mace's loyalty, we should go straight to uh, former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. Um, frankly, this is not the first ally that Nancy Mace has stabbed in the back, and it's not the last. And something that I find so remarkable about her uh, backing of Donald Trump is that on January 6th, 2021, one of the Congresswomen who I spoke with was then freshman Representative Nancy Mace, and she told me that the reason why she was so disappointed in that day is that all of his policy accomplishments, in her words, had been wiped away. If you look at her endorsement of Trump, why did she endorse him this time around? Because of his policy endorse, because of his policy accomplishments. So uh, Representative Mace, she seems to be a congresswoman who will, will give her endorsement based on the, the way the wind is blowing. You know what they say about politics being the second oldest profession that exists in, in the world. Um, Julia, I think about how we deal with what Donald Trump is doing. Mm -hmm. He doesn't attack people and he doesn't give them airtime if he isn't worried about them, right? What does it say that he is spending a lot of time on Nikki Haley, his campaign spending a lot of time on Nikki Haley, and then on RFK Jr.? Yeah, it would seem to expose some sort of worry. And I think with RFK Jr. in particular, uh, look, remember last summer when he sort of came on the political scene and we saw Republicans almost going along with it, saying, oh, yeah, he should run, because right. then the political logic was, oh, we take votes away from the Democrats. Now we've seen polling that has suggested he actually takes votes away from Donald Trump. So we've seen the RNC and Donald Trump change their tune on RFK Jr. Nikki Haley is a different scenario because Donald Trump in every single poll is leading her in South Carolina at least by 30 points. The Hill Decision Desk average shows uh, Trump leading Haley by 57% nationally. So that is a good question. Look, I think as long as he is not seen as the presumptive Republican nominee, as long as he still has a challenger, he still views that as a threat. He can't focus on Joe Biden directly. He's splitting his time between her and Nikki Haley and Joe Biden. I, I have asked multiple times to people involved in the Trump campaign, 
if Nikki Haley is so far behind and has no no chance, as the Trump campaign says, and if Donald Trump has this sewn up, as the Donald Trump campaign says, why give her the airtime, right? Why why not just do this, ignore us, I'm focusing on Joe Biden and move on? They never have a good answer to that. And my question to you, Phil, is we've seen so often, and we saw it in 2016, how effective Donald Trump was at clearing the field, right? And he was able to sort of go through the Republican field like a combine. But when it's one-on-one, when it was one-on-one with Hillary Clinton, it was very close. When it was one-on-one with Joe Biden, he lost. Now it's one-on-one with Nikki Haley. And I'm wondering if that doesn't change the dynamic. I think that it does. And the reason why they are concerned about Nikki Haley is not because they think that she can come behind in South Carolina or Nevada. Their fear is that this becomes a knockout, dragout fight for the long term. And right now, Donald Trump, he needs two things going into a general election. He needs to get the base behind him, also not entirely alienate those independent and moderate voters. And he also needs to get GOP donors to line up behind him. So long as Nikki Haley is in the field, so long as she's running against him and providing an alternative, She's speaking to those moderate voters. She's giving them an alternative. She's speaking to those donors uh, who you know, would otherwise be backing a challenger of Joe Biden entirely. They want her gone, and they want her gone as quickly as possible. In terms of the bigger threat to Donald Trump as, as they see it, uh, latest polling, and you showed this, I thought it was important. Joe Biden, 39 percent. Donald Trump, 37 percent. Kennedy, 14 percent. You point out that, that a lot of the Trump vote uh, goes to Robert Kennedy. Uh, what issue is the is the Trump campaign focused on here that they think is so appealing about RFK? In terms of what's so appealing about RFK, look, he's he's getting a umbrella of voters, or has, he has a broad umbrella of voters, voters who voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, or voters who voted for Joe Biden or Donald Trump in 2020. He's really zeroing in. We've seen him zero in, in on this idea of COVID restrictions. I know we're sort of past COVID now, but at the same time, that's a way for him to distinguish himself from President Trump, who has, you know, talked about his record during yeah. the coronavirus. So I think that's what you're seeing. Yeah, um, that's, that's what driving it. That's what, that's what RFK is coming back on. Uh, radicals shutting down the country with no due process. Yeah. So he's attacking Trump on that. Hey, this was a great conversation. Thank you. you. Uh, as we said, uh, we'll enjoy this weekend and still have things to talk about because <laughs> Donald Trump is in the political world. 3,155 days to count. Our friends at CNN found a solution to the migrant crisis that is plugging America's largest city. Problem is, New York City, for example, couldn't implement it if they wanted to. This is CNN, not us who came up with this idea. It all comes out of the video showing illegal immigrants beating up NYPD cops. They were arrested and then, as we told you last night, released it on no bail. We've learned they might have skipped town heading for California. Investigators now say that these men, in fact, remember there was one of them who was flipping everybody the bird yesterday, are part of a massive retail theft ring. Police had arrested them several times in New York only to release them from jail hours later. And now see. So what the detectives are telling me is they have crews here that operate in New York, do all their stealing, then go to Florida to spend the money and then come back. And I'm like, well, why don't they just stay and steal in Florida? And they said, because there you go to jail. And there was shock by the CNN anchors. Going to jail evidently does work because nobody does it in Florida. In addition, New York is a sanctuary city, giving illegal immigrants added protection. New York Governor Kathy Hochul appeals ready to maybe take the Florida approach. She realizes that people who beat up cops getting out of jail is a bad look for her state. The problem is 
as she's realizing she can't unilaterally change the bail laws. That's still a pending investigation. All I can say is that under the laws of the state of New York, particularly the bail laws that I was instrumental in changing to make sure that judges had more discretion, uh, certainly an assault on a police officer is bail eligible. There are over 100 crimes that are also can lead to deportation, and so that is also something I want to have a conversation with. The other person involved in this is Alvin Bragg. He's the prosecutor in New York who doesn't like prosecuting very much. Her comments today are the clearest sign yet, though, and Democrats are figuring this out, that the immigration conversation is changing and it does not help Democrats. But it may be too late, at least in terms of national security. Millions of people are here and millions of people are here that we don't know much about. 60 Minutes is tackling that tomorrow. So what's the fastest growing group among them? Chinese migrants. Yes, you heard that right. Hmm. Yeah, if you watch the show, you heard that back from us in September. The Chinese migrants are the biggest group now, the largest increase in groups coming across the southern border from China. In September, we talked about it with House Homeland Security Chairman Mark Green. So there are actual members who were in the People's Liberation Army, the People's Liberation Air Force, and they are here in the United States, released into the United States. You have to think that this is a part of some plan or strategy. You'd be foolish not to at least consider that. All right. We know that not every immigrant coming into the country has bad intentions. That's obvious. In fact, probably most of them don't. This picture, though, it sort of sums things up, right, yesterday about the policies of five years, open borders, defund the police, and then the migrants giving all of us the middle finger. Men who attack New York City police officers and then run away. That's not really dangerous, though, to America. The Chinese story, in terms of who those people are, are dangerous to America. It's something we continue to look into, and we'll see what 60 Minutes does about it over the weekend. Coming up next, when we come back, more on the breaking news as American forces carry out airstrikes against targets in Syria and Iraq. How the White House is trying to message this and why President Biden didn't speak tonight. We'll see you in a minute. The way this was carried out, B-1 bombers came from the United States. It's about 24 hours round trip, give or take. They were over the targets, we're told, for about 30 or 40 minutes uh, to fly either uh, up through Jordan and Saudi Arabia and then back out or up over the top and then around. We don't know whether which, which way they went. Uh, there was six to seven major target areas, uh, three in Syria, four in Iraq, which sort of track in terms of where the major bases are for the Iranian-backed militias. Uh, and you don't, we, don't, we don't know, at least it hasn't been publicly said, which one of the militias, whether it was groups in Syria or in Iraq that were responsible for the drone attack that killed three Americans here in the northeast corner of Jordan. Uh, for some time now, uh, we have heard from Republicans over the past five days that this is too slow. The telegraphing of this response means that all of the areas that were hit were probably cleaned out by the militias. House Foreign Affairs Chairman Mike McCall issued this statement almost a week. We'll put up the statement real quick uh, on the screen. House Foreign Affairs Chief Mike McCall saying basically this is too little, too late, and sanctions are needed to cut off the source of terror funding and in 
end uh, Iran's ability to export oil. Brent Sadler's here, 26-year Navy veteran, senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. You know, Brent, I understand the criticism. I understand saying that Mm -hmm. there's not been any attacks on Iran directly. I'm wondering if before we can say that, if we have to really understand a little bit more, and it may be tomorrow when we have the bomb damage assessment, uh, Mm -hmm. about how, how badly these proxies were hit. No, I think that's right. I I was on earlier with a Middle Eastern station that had reporters on the ground actually in Iraq and Syria, and it was interesting to get some of the feedback. It appears that some of the strikes were at least marginally affected by what was being reported, but we won't know until the Department of Defense gives a, a declassified briefing and assessment of how effective. But the other thing, the real measure of success on these is how soon it or how long it takes before these proxies attack U.S. forces again, if ever, and if the Iranians feel emboldened to ratchet things up elsewhere or to take it to another level. If they don't, no, no, the, and if the proxies no, no. don't, success. Yep. Yeah, no, look, and that, that, the, the, what people do says a lot more. I, and I'm, I'm fascinated by ta- hearing what the Middle Eastern stations were saying by having people on the mm. ground in Syria and Iraq. How is it that the Iranians engender this loyalty out of these proxies? Because the Iranians view these proxies as expendable. They don't really care when they get killed. They're happy to give them weapons. And then when something like this happens, the IRGC guys, the Iranian Revolutionary Mm -hmm. Guard uh, leadership, runs back to Tehran in 12 hours, and it's all the locals who end up getting blown up. I'm wondering if the locals in Syria and Iraq might not get tired of this. Well, I think two things drive it, and it's very simple. One is money, um, and the other is fear. So the IGRC, and when Soleimani was taken out, or the day before he was taken out in 2020, I mean, he was feared, but he was also a source of financing throughout the region. So, of course, he was welcomed uh, by Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, the Houthis, and everyone else, and, and many groups in Iraq. But you take him out. That sends shivers down all the proxies that the U.S. was dangerous and not to be toyed with, but it also took out a lot of experience and access and knowledge of the region. By the way we telegraphed and the way these these uh, uh, operations were executed, it wasn't clear. It's still not clear to me that we've targeted the, the leadership element, which is the IGRC, when they're operating in the field. Take those folks out, you buy yourself peace for quite a long time. Now, you make a great point about the money, too, back during maximum pressure campaigns by the Trump administration against Iran as the money dried up. The the proxies uh, just didn't have the funding to to do what they wanted to do. All right, Brent, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Fannie Willis, uh, the prosecutor down in Georgia, well, it turns out she did have an affair with the person that she paid almost half a million dollars to to go after Donald Trump. Why that's not even the best legal news Donald Trump got today. Two major breaking developments in the trials of Donald Trump, and both of them are incredibly good news for the former president. First, the district attorney prosecuting former President Trump in Georgia admitted to an affair with a then-married special prosecutor. Fannie Willis hired Nathan Wade to investigate Trump, and he was paid $653,000 in taxpayer money. He reportedly took her on luxury vacations. 
In the DA's filing today, Willis says her affair has no personal conflict of interest that justifies her disqualification personally or that of the Fulton County District Attorney's Office. And his criminal case in D.C., that is Donald Trump's criminal case in D.C., is now postponed indefinitely. The Jack Smith special counsel case about his actions, Donald Trump's actions on January 6th, dropped off the D.C. docket last night. It hasn't been rescheduled. Trump's team had filed a number of motions, including an appeal saying he's immune from prosecution for actions as president. Trump's longtime legal strategy of playing for time goes back decades, and it does work. Former member of the Trump administration, former attorney general in Florida, Pam Bondi, is with us now. Nice to see you. Uh, Nice to see you. I, I guess you could say better lucky than good, but this is a good day for Donald Trump legally. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a bad day for Fannie Willis. Um, you know, she said she didn't have an affair. Now she's saying she had a relationship. But Leland, what's going to happen to her? That that case is going to disintegrate, by the way, because what's going to happen to her is she will be investigated for mail fraud and wire fraud. If she used state funds to her personal benefit, meaning the over $600,000 she paid her alleged boyfriend and went on vacations with him with that money. So most likely, if they can prove it, she will be under a federal investigation. Well, uh, from from the Biden DOJ, we'll see there. But also there could be a state investigation, too. So I I think there's a a lot of problems for her there. I'm fascinated by the D.C. case because for so long, the concept of D.C. jury, Obama judge uh, prosecuting Donald Trump. Uh, was was the thing that was going to derail Trump, and it was going to happen in March, right, which was before the conventions, on and on and on, uh, before even all of the primary. Now that I, I've been hearing different things from Trump's legal team, but it seems as though that's delayed. Is it indefinitely, you think? Is it? Is it? Can we get it to August? How does that work? Leland, it is delayed indefinitely, and here's why. Judge Chuckin today removed it from the docket indefinitely, because it's on appeal with the D.C. Court of Appeals. Whichever side loses, they're going to ask for an en banc hearing, meeting with all the judges on the appellate court. That can take months. Then the losing side, after the appellate review, will ask for certiorari in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, it only takes four justices to accept it. They can either accept it, deny it, expedite it, which highly unlikely, or put it on their normal docket, Leland, which is in November. Let me ask you this. How much of this, and I think you can, either whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, agree that it might be a good thing. How much of this is the court that you see, or courts, from the adult level deciding that they don't want to be involved in this, right? Is, is that there, there's, way, there's ways for the courts to deal with it very quickly, and there's also ways for the courts to say, we don't want to be involved in things involving elections. We're going to let the voters decide and then let the chips fall where they may legally. Well, and Lila, that's the ultimate election interference. What's happening now, sure. And remember, Joe Biden said after when President Trump was going to get in the race, he said, we will do everything in our power to keep him from being elected again. And sure enough, after that, that's when Jack Smith started. That's when all these cases started. And, you know, the only one that could possibly even go to trial, Mm. ironically, is Alvin Bragg with Stormy Daniels, the same Alvin Bragg, Leland, who let the criminals out on their own recognizance who just beat up two police officers in New York. You can't make this up. Yeah, it takes a lot when the governor of New York gets involved, gets involved and irritated with the prosecutor in New York. Um, Pam, yeah. thank you very much. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend. 
Thank you. You too. You as well have a great weekend. There's a lot of Americans in harm's way tonight. Keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Hey, everybody, I'm Chris Cuomo. It's Friday. A little point of common concern before we get to breaking news. Today is National Wear Red Day. That's why I have on this resplendent red tie. What does it mean? We support you being aware of American Heart Month. Cardiovascular disease. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.